0: Let me welcome you to Crossroads. It's an exciting day again, a beautiful day. I, I honestly like this kind of day. I know it kind of hurts attendance, uh, but again, it's a beautiful day. It's just a reminder that pumpkin spice is on the menu now everywhere. <laughs> Uh, And that Thanksgiving and Christmas are just around the corner and uh, we're going to have a great time But let me welcome you to Crossroads Let me welcome those that are on time this morning because we finally got the little problem fixed with our Our live feed to Facebook. We welcome you guys who are joining us on Facebook And again, I want to encourage you uh, that since we're on time this morning Take a moment comment who you are and that you're watching But also share this from our page to your page because again, it's so important Uh, We missed a few people last week because we were late We actually had everything set right It just didn't take, and again, I assumed the responsibility for that because I thought it probably was my fault, but it ended up not being my fault, and uh, it was something else. So anyway, uh, we're glad that those are being able to join us online uh, and on Facebook Live. Comment there. Let us know where you're listening from. I said it last week to these guys, but not to you guys. We have an amazing amount of people watching us from across the country and again texas is one of our big strongholds so we welcome the people from texas from california uh even from other countries so again we're excited that you're joining us Uh, and just experiencing what God is doing here because we believe, and we've told you this before, Crossroads is a place of hope and transformation, and we believe that hope and transformation is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we believe God wants to do exciting things in your life, and we want to invite you to continue to join us here, whether it's in person or online. We know a lot of people are being careful now, and they're watching online. We have people here in the audience. We had a great crowd considering the weather uh, today, but again, at the 8, is it 8.30? service i get them confused now so we 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 were excited to have those people here and we're excited that you're uh, that you are here and we encourage you to come back whether it's in person or whether it's online now we started a brand new series last week which is just going to be a short series let me just go ahead and warn you it's just going to be three weeks it'll be this week and next week but for those that were here for the messages prior to last week and the start of this new series, you guys know that I've been talking a lot or been saying a lot in my messages or the time that we spend together where I'm speaking to you uh, in these conversations. I've been making a lot of references to last days, end times, and, and, and the like. And again, we, we addressed that you know right before we started this series. But one of the things that I've been saying consistently is that you are seeing, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, you are seeing the book of Revelation actually play out right in front of you. Uh, Again, it's just an interesting thing to watch when you watch uh, all of the things that are happening. But somebody kind of alerted me uh, and uh, sent this to me this past week. And it's actually to me uh, another revelation if you will that we are living in the end times i mean we can live a thousand more minutes we can live a thousand more years before the return of christ before the rapture and the return of christ but again that 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 it matters but it really doesn't matter i mean it's, i'm not concerned about the time it's just my job as the shepherd as the pastor here to, to issue to you the truth that is actually found in God's Word, but also the warnings and the signs that we're, you know, we're, what are the times like that we're living in? I think it, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. But this past week, I just want to give you evidence that if you don't understand that we're living in the, what I call very days and times of the book of Revelation I want to show you a billboard that's actually, I think it's on Mount Juliet Road. It was sent to me. This is in our own community. And here's the billboard. Here's what the billboard instructs you to do. Sleep in on Sunday. Don't worry about going to church. Don't worry about doing what Hebrews 10.25 says, forsake not the assembling of yourself together. Stay home. Don't worry about it. You don't have anything to lose. Now, what's interesting, again, is this billboard is in our community. We are considered the buckle of the Bible belt. And these are the things that we're starting to see. I I happen to be scrolling through uh, Facebook this week, and I ran across, I think, I think, and again, I'm I'm being very open-minded here because I'm not totally sure, but I think it's the same organization that's paying for this billboard in Mount Juliet. It's the Freedom, for, for Freedom from Religious Foundation, Religion Foundation. And, and I happened to be scrolling through Facebook and I saw this guy. And initially I didn't recognize who he was, but I, uh, I ended up listening to what he had to say. And it was Ronald Reagan's son. Did anybody see that? Ronald Reagan Jr. And he goes on this spiel and tells me about, you know, I'm a very proud atheist and yada, yada, yada. He's for the separation of church and state and yada, yada, yada. But what really alarmed me was the very last thing he said. He said this, I'm Ronald Reagan Jr. And I'm not afraid to burn in hell. Friends, I'm telling you. You better put your armor on. And you better get ready. Make sure your house is in order. It's not here I'm not here to scare you. I'm just here to prepare you. You need to understand that the battle is real. So if you don't believe the battle is real, then there is your evidence. And I'm just going to tell you this morning, I'm not looking for more signs. I'm listening for the trumpet. There are no more signs. I'm listening for the trumpet. Well, last week we started a series of messages that I believe are so relevant to where we find ourselves right now. And uh, as we looked last week, we we, we, we talked about what, what does it take? What does it take to survive an economic earthquake in our life? And, and the reason why I believe these messages are so relevant is because that's what the last 17 or 18 months have felt like. Uh, if you're going to kind of track with me you would say you know when it, when it happened in March 2020 and our, our world shut down the world as we know it it honestly felt like an earthquake and, and what's interesting is since of March of 2020 the thing that you and I have had to deal with is we have had to deal with aftershock after aftershock after aftershock now researchers will tell you and they have concluded, that there's this PTSD type of anxiety that comes with an earthquake. But that same type of PTSD anxiety is actually greater as you and I experience the aftershocks that follow an earthquake. And this morning, I think, if we'll just be real, we can be honest and we can say that the last 17 months, have not only impacted us emotionally and physically and mentally and spiritually, but I think every person in this room, all of those watching and listening online, can agree that if there's any area of our lives where we've all been impacted, in one way or another, it's in the area of our finances. I mean, think about it. Some people have a business, and that business is barely hanging on. Many people have lost their businesses altogether. Some people have lost their jobs. And at the same time that people are experiencing all the negative effects of the March 2020 earthquake and the aftershocks after that, there are other people on the other side that are doing well. But even as those people are doing well, at the same time, both groups have this increasing fear and anxiety about what's going to happen next. What does the future hold? Well, what's the next aftershock going to be? Now, statistics will tell us right now that if you survey people, three out of four people will tell you that the number one concern that they have right now and going forward, the number one concern to them, the number one thing that they're worrying about in their life, they're just going to tell you straight up, it's money, it's their finances. So last week, we kind of focused in on what does it look like? What does it mean? How do I prepare for an economic earthquake? And during our time last week, we uncovered what I called two economic fences, and those economic fences are actually found in the Word of God. We went back to the book of Leviticus, and we looked at Leviticus, I think, 19, and we looked in there, and we found and identified two economic fences. And we know that God's Word tells us that if we stay inside the fence, it leads to blessing. Outside the fence, Leads to cursing. Inside the fence. Leads to feasting. Outside the fence. Leads to famine. Last weekend as I closed. I invited you. Back inside the fence. Of God's favor. And the reason why I would invite you. Is because it's behind the fence. Of the favor of God. That's where you are going to experience. Life to the fullest. And again, here's the thing I would tell you. If you missed last week, go to our website, CrossroadsLebanon.com, and listen to the audio. Or go back, scroll back on our Facebook page to last Sunday, and you'll be able to catch the message portion of our service last week. Go back and look at the principles, look at the truths, And begin to apply those things to your life. Now this morning we're going to move to a different area. Last week was all about preparation. This week we're going to move to the subject of transformation. So as we get started, the thing I desire this morning is to kind of start to explore. Explore. I really want to explore, explore your mindset when it comes to money. And, and, and to be able to explore your mindset, because we all have a different mindset when it comes to money. But to truly begin to explore the mindset that you have as it relates to money. I want to go to the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and I want to look at what the Apostle Paul wrote and left for us so that we would have some understanding of moving in from preparation to transformation. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 12, verse 2. He said this. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be, what did he say? Let's say it together. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world has patterns. The world is going to try to get you to do certain things, but the Apostle Paul left this and said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And one of the things that I have discovered is that followers of Jesus struggle when it comes to developing a new mindset as it relates to money. I see it all the time. I see good followers of Jesus, but they struggle with having a new mindset when it comes to their finances, when it comes to their money. So if I were to ask you this question, if I were to propose this question to you this morning, How many of you would like to be more blessed from God? What would you say? I mean, we'd all say yes, right? I mean, everybody in this room, everybody listening and watching online, whether they're in their car, at their home, on Blair, wherever they are. If I was to propose that question to them personally, which I am, how many of you would like to be more blessed than you are right now, more blessed from God? I don't think there's any doubt that there would be 100% of the people who heard the question that would say, I want to be more blessed from God. We might not agree with a lot of things, but all of us would agree that we want to be blessed. We might not agree who the best football team is in the SEC. We might not agree who ought to be president or who is president. But one thing I know we can agree on is that all of us in this room and watching and listening online would like to be more blessed by God. And here's the thing. If you answered and said, yes, I want to be more blessed from God. I want to live with the blessing of God and God's favor on my life. Then you have to understand this morning that Acts chapter 20, verse 35 is going to be a verse that speaks directly to you. Remember, you said you wanted to be blessed. And what's interesting is this. Acts 20, verse 35, is a verse that is counterintuitive to all of us. It's counterintuitive to every person in this room and all of those joining online. Because the only people that are actually going to believe the words that I'm going to show you in just a moment, the only people that believe the words of Acts 20 verse 35 are those people who have already experienced transformation in their minds. Look at Acts 20 verse 35. Because these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's pretty counterintuitive, isn't it? But Jesus said, what you you said you wanted to be a while ago, Jesus said, if you want to be more blessed, now listen, track with me. If you want to be more blessed, then you have to understand. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Those are not my words. Those are not the words of Randy S. Cook. Those are the one the words of Jesus Christ. Look at Proverbs 11. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. Here's what it says. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. That, see, that just, that, that, that's just weird. One person gives and gets more. Another withholds unduly, and that person comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper, but whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, think about that. Think of the words of Jesus and then think about what the writer in Proverbs says. One person gives away freely, and even though they're giving it away, they get even more. But the other person keeps it, withholds it, and that person comes to poverty. What's the difference in those two people? I'll tell you what the difference is. It's your mindset. It comes down to your mindset. So let me ask you a question. What's your mindset? What's your mindset when it comes to money? What's your mindset when it comes to economics? You know, I love illustrations. You can overdo illustrations even from my standpoint from up here on the stage, but I love a series where I have lots of illustrations, and this is one of those series. But I brought with me three different things that describe the mindsets of people. And the thing I've discovered is that most of the people I interact with, most of the people that I know, Most people live with the bag mindset. Most of the people I know live with what I call the bag mindset. And and here's the thing. You see that on the screen behind me, bag mindset. Most of you don't know what that means. You're thinking, okay, well, what does the bag mindset really mean? Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend our time talking about three different mindsets when it comes to money, when it comes to your finances, But a bag mindset, that's where people live these days. Generally, the bag mindset is where people live these days. And here's the thing I want you to understand. I'm not trying to isolate one economic group over another group. It it affects the affluent and the not so affluent. But the bag mindset is a person that believes that what they have is not going to be enough. Randy, we, we, we would like to give, but we just want you to understand, we, 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 we have a bag behind that, and we don't have enough to be generous. We'd like to give, but we don't have enough to be generous. And we can't be generous simply because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the next aftershock, based on that earthquake that happened in March 2020, COVID-19, we don't know what the next aftershock is going to be, and we don't know how it's going to impact our family. So we'd like to be generous, but we can't be generous. So those people live with what I call the bag mindset. Maybe some of you can relate to these words that are found in the Old Testament. Haggai, chapter 1, verse 6. You probably don't read a lot there, but again, I want you to read this. Look at what Haggai says. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. The money you make is as if you put it in pockets filled with holes. Now, what you're looking at behind me is the New Living Translation. You know what the King James Translation says? It says, bags filled with holes. I mean, think about it. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like uh, you, you 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 earn money and you put it in a bag? And it's like the bag has holes in it. I mean, you put money in there and, and, and no matter what you do, I mean, you just can't hold on to the money. It, I mean, a, again, you put the money in and you've got a bag and you fill that bag up with money every month. And no matter how try hard you try, when you get to the end of the month, There's never enough money left over because you've got holes in the bag. And in that moment, when you think, you know what, I'm starting to get just a little bit ahead. We've got a little bit we put to to, to savings. We've got a little bit that we put aside. What happens? The transmission on the car goes out. Am I right? The air conditioner at the house goes out. And how do you feel? You feel like you're living with a bag with holes in it. And as much as you would like to give and be generous, you don't feel like you can because everything that you put in the top of the bag ends up coming out of the bottom of the bag. I know somebody who years ago sold a business. Honestly, they've sold a bunch of businesses. And they have a ton of money. Honestly, they have nothing to worry about. But every time I eat with them or go anywhere with them, they're always worried about the next thing that's going to happen. I mean, honestly, they have nothing to worry about. But they're so worried. And here's somebody that's locked, cocked, and ready to rock with their finances. They have nothing to worry about. And they're always worried. And I'm thinking, if you've got it made, then how am I supposed to feel? If you're really worried and you've got money, then what am I supposed to do? Let me ask you another question. And I'm going to tell you, I already know this about you. But I want to propose a question to you, and you're going to see it on the screen behind me. How much money would you need to accumulate so that you didn't have to worry? How much money would you need to accumulate so that you would be fearless as you lived your life? How much money would you need in cash or under the mattress or in the bank? How much money would you have to have to feel completely secure so that nothing could touch you or your family or your kids or your grandkids? How much money would you need to feel secure and safe so that you wouldn't have to live in fear of the bag mindset? How much money would you have to have? See, I know the answer to every person in this room and everybody watching online. The answer to the question behind me is more, more money than you currently have. It's always going to be more than you have. It's always going to be more than you currently have. It doesn't matter where you are on the scale of economics. It's always going to be more than you currently have. But you know what the Scripture tells us? The scripture tells us that there was a guy that was really interested in what was in the bag. The the scripture actually talks about a guy who was really interested in the bag mindset. And and you guys know him. His, his, His name was actually Judas. See, Judas was the guy who carried around a bag of money and there was if there was ever anybody who was really interested in what the money could do that was in the bag then it was Judas but you know what Judas did he ended up betraying Jesus because he had the bag mindset Judas was the guy who betrayed Jesus For 30 pieces of silver. Now, here's the thing Jesus was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver in a bag. But here's the thing I want you to realize. Do you understand? Do you realize that people do that every day? Every day, people betray God because of the bag mindset. See, Scripture teaches us, we talked about it last week, Scripture teaches us that the tithe belongs to God. The Scripture tells us that the tithe belongs to God. In other words, when, when, when you get a paycheck, you return Not give, you return the first 10% to God. And why would you return the first 10% to God? You return it to him because it belongs to him. But people don't do that because they're more concerned with what's in their bag. They're more concerned with what's in their bag than they are with obeying God. And honoring God. Randy, you know, I love, I love what you do at Crossroads. I love to give, but my, my bag has holes in it. I mean, I got kids, I got kids in school. I got kids in sports. I mean, we got a new car. We bought a new car. I mean, I, you know, Randy, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I, I've got bags with holes in them. And I'd love to give, but, you know, Randy, I hope you know. I mean, I hope you're being careful because COVID-19 is still around, and I just don't know what might happen. Many of us are living with a bag mindset. But there's another mindset. And let me me tell you this morning, this next mindset is much more exciting. Because the next mindset is what I call the basket mindset. It's a basket mindset. And this is the person who lives with the basket mindset. That's the person who believes that God is an abundant God. The person who lives with the basket mindset believes that, you know, it doesn't matter if COVID-19 is hanging around. It doesn't matter what the next aftershock is going to be. It doesn't matter in their life. They know that God is an abundant God, and regardless of the circumstances, God can be trusted. That's the person with the basket mindset. The basket mindset person is the person that believes that because of God's abundance to them and to their life, they believe that they can give freely. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Here's what it says. I want you to follow along with me. We're going to see if you're awake. The fruit of your loom will be... Does it say fruit of your loom? No, it doesn't say fruit of your loom. It says the fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land, and the young of your livestock. See, the, the, the whole thing about the young of your livestock, that, that was important because, again, they, they didn't know, you know, If I'll talk about that a little bit more next week, but again, the young of your livestock, to give away the young of your livestock you never knew if you were going to have any more. But here's what it says. It says, the fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land, and the young of your livestock. Now look at what it says next. It says, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in, and you will be blessed when you go out. And notice what it says your basket will be blessed. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus gives a very interesting teaching about the basket. And this is the way that he put it in Luke chapter 6. Look behind me. Jesus said, the words that we looked at a while ago, give and it will be given to you. Those are not the words that we looked at a while ago, but those were other words. But anyway, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, oh, come on, somebody, it will be measured back to you. Some of you need to run from that. For the measure that you use, it's going to be measured back to you. So what's Jesus talking about? He was talking about a basket. And in that day, people would have understood the concept of the basket because a farmer who would raise wheat would hire day laborers and he would give them a basket and they would go out into the wheat field and they would fill that basket much bigger than this one up with wheat and they would carry that all across the field all day helping to harvest the wheat. Now think about it. Those day laborers who were carrying a basket of wheat across the field to help out the farmer. They weren't dumb people. They were smart. I, I, I tell you what I call them. They were Americanized. So what they would do is they would fill that basket about half full or two-thirds full, and they would carry it across the field. They would only fill it about half full or two-thirds full because they had to carry it across that field, and that basket was heavy. They were smart. But here's what would happen. At the end of the day, the landowner would tell those people who had worked for him the entire day, the last basket is yours. And you know what those same people who were filling it two-thirds of the way full would do? They would go out in the field because the last basket was theirs. Because of the generosity of the landowner, they would fill that basket to the very brim. Let me give you you an idea of how they would fill that basket. They would fill that basket the same way you fill your to-go salad container at Gondola. Let me tell you, when I go to Gondola, now that the salad bar is back open, praise God. And they give me a to-go salad bar container. you know what I do? I go around that salad bar, and I push it in, and I pack it in, and I cram everything that will go in that little box so that I can leave there, because a good salad Is filled with good measure shaken together and running over in my lap. And I've had that happen in the car in my lap. So, those day laborers at the end of the day, they would take their basket and they would put in that basket a good measure and they would press it down and they would shake it down. And they would do that because of the master's generosity. And they would put in more because of the generosity of their master. And they would leave that field that day with their basket. Listen to me this morning. Listen, their basket would be running over. And that's what Jesus is doing. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus is telling you that's the kind of God you have. The God of heaven is the God of God. Of abundance. And when we are faithful with the little that we have in the bag, He can trust us and bless us with more materially or in other ways. But He will supply to you a blessing so that your basket is running over. Now, the difference between the the people of the basket mindset and the people of the bag mindset is that the bag mindset people, they just can't get over their fear to trust God. They can't get over the fear that they have to trust God and the promises that God has made. But see here's the thing, a person with the basket mindset, they know. They know that God never breaks a promise. The basket mindset person knows that God, no matter what happens, COVID-19, you know, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, it don't matter. They know that God never breaks a promise and that God can always be trusted. But see, it's hard for us because we didn't come out of our mother's womb as a natural-born giver. Instead, you're just like me. You came out of your mother's womb as a natural-born taker. Am I right? We all did. I mean, think about it. What's one of the hardest things that you have had to teach your children? It's to share, right? Did you have to teach your children to take? No. Did you need to teach your child to say mine? Absolutely not. Because your child, like you, like me, we were all born as takers. But basket people know that God can be trusted. Basket people know that God can resupply. Basket people know that with the measure that you use, it's going to be measured back to you. So we got the bag mindset. We got the basket mindset. And, And my prayer this morning for those in the auditorium, those watching and listening online is I just pray that some of you get to experience what I call the barn mindset. Now, listen to me this morning. I didn't, I didn't have the guts to ask Barry to build me a barn like he built me that fence last week. So I actually barred this barn from my grandchild, Max. He actually let me, and, and when I didn't tell him, his mother kind of snuck it out of his toy, you know, collection. And when he saw it, he came up after the service, and he wanted to take it home with him. And I said, no, I've got to use it for one more service. So I kind of borrowed, I actually kind of stole the barn. So anyway, that, that's thats it. But the person with the barn mindset knows. The person with the barn set knows, barn mindset knows that God is infinitely enough, more than enough. The person with the barn mindset knows that in whatever happens in their life, listen to me this morning, God is more than able. That's the person with the barn mindset. L- look at, again at Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 8. Here's what it said. The Lord will send blessing. Look what it says. The Lord will send blessing on your barns. And on everything you put your hand to, the Lord your God will bless you in the land that he's giving you. Now imagine that you're faithful with what God gives you in the bag. And then in turn, you are faithful with what you have in the basket. And then one day, God makes the decision to give you barns that are overflowing. And you say, oh, that doesn't doesn't happen. That's what Joseph experienced, am I right? Joseph experienced that very thing in the Old Testament. How did Joseph experience barns that were overflowing? I'll tell you why. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of the way he was treated, in spite of the circumstances in his life, Joseph was continuously faithful, and God elevated him from the pit to the prison to the palace. And as Joseph was faithful, one day when that great famine came, Joseph was able to say to the people of Egypt, I have barns that are overflowing. And because he had barns that were overflowing, like those lights were coming on. Oh, Lord. Because he had barns that were overflowing. Joseph was able to feed. Every person in Egypt. Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and ten. It shows us, I want you to understand this. It shows us how God is watching you and testing you. Look at what the Bible says. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crop. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Now look at what it says. Honor. The Lord with your wealth. The first fruits. What's the the first fruit? Somebody say it loud. The tithe. And see, that's what the tithe is doing. The tithe is teaching you and I to trust God. Because I want you to hear me. God can do more with 90% that is blessed than he can with 100% that is not blessed. God can do more with 90% that is blessed than he can with 100% that is not blessed. And when we return the tithe back to him, what does God do? He naturally, in supernatural ways, blesses our finances. When you are faithful, that's what God will do. God will use you in the very same way he used Joseph to help many. Because your barns will be overflowing. Now, I want you to hear what I'm saying. I know that I have a long way to go. I know that I have a long way to grow in this area of my life. And I know that there are people watching, people in this auditorium. Many of you have more faith than I do. But I'm going to tell you this morning, I have learned some things about this area of my life. Now, many of you know and some of you don't know that while I was on the journey to where I am now, When I started this journey, I actually was not involved in a local church. I knew God was doing something in my life, but I was in business. So it was probably about 1996, and since I wasn't plugged into a local church, I started to take some of the money that I was making, and I started putting it into gospel events. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not afraid to tell you, I own convenience stores. I did not sell pornography, but I did sell beer, and I sold cigarettes, and I sold rolling papers. That was about the worst I got. But I knew that God was doing something in my life. And I took the devil's money and put it into gospel-centered events. Because nobody at the time was doing anything like it. And I would bring in artists and, and musicians and speakers, and, and I would publicize it, and I would promote it, and I would invite the community. And, and not one time, well, except for one time, I never took up an offering. It was just my way of giving back because I was not plugged into a local church at that time. Only one time did I take up an offering, and the one time I took up an offering was the day that I brought John Hagee to Lebanon, Tennessee, and he spoke to a standing room only crowd, and I took up an offering that day, and that offering went to his ministry. He came here for free. He did not ask me to take up an offering. I did that because I felt that was what we were supposed to do. And do you know that the people of Lebanon, Tennessee, gave $10,000 to him for coming here? They honored him and his obedience to just come here at my invitation. And I'm going to tell you, I just kept doing it, and God kept blessing it. I kept doing it, and he blessed it, and he blessed it. He blessed it so much that he ended up blessing me right out of that business. That's a whole other story for another time. But I was blessed. This is one of the most life-changing things that God has done in my life. And I want you to hear me to say, I want you to hear me, I, I'm going to say more about this next week. I have learned that we truly are more blessed when we give than when we receive. Now, I want to take just a moment and speak to those of you who are in this room, those who are listening online, and those who are watching. I want to speak to a very specific group of people. I want to speak to the people who have barns that are full. Now, when you think about somebody who has a barn that's full, those are generally the people who've worked hard. They've worked hard. They've managed well. And let me just say this morning, if if you're here in this auditorium or watching me online, And you're joining us, and you're one of those people who you could say that God has blessed you with a barn that's overflowing. I just want to remind you that Jesus says, To whom much is given, much is required. Because for the person with the barn that's overflowing, you're my responsibility. Is greater, And what Jesus was really saying was this. Jesus was saying that as, if God has given you a measure of wealth, then you need to understand there is a tremendous responsibility that comes that's attached to that measure of wealth. If God has blessed your barn with affluence, then you have a spiritual responsibility that comes with the much that God has entrusted to you. You know, people criticize me sometimes for talking about money. I mean... I don't think you could probably go back and remember the last time I actually did a series on money. It's probably been two years or more. But sometimes people actually have the guts to criticize me when I talk about money. And, and, and I have other pastor friends who, who actually are afraid to talk about money. And I oftentimes say to them, why is it that you're afraid to talk about money? Because Jesus did. I've actually had people leave the church. I, I could name one person right now who I know said that I talked about money too much, and he left here and went to another church. But the reason that I will p- talk about money, I'm not going like, to beat you up with it. I'm going to give you the spiritual truths and the spiritual principles. But the reason I talk about money is because Jesus did. As a matter of fact, if you look at the autobiography of Jesus' life, which is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John— you have to understand that very few times did Jesus talk about heaven and very few times did Jesus talk about hell. But do you know what he talked about all of the time? He talked about money. Because Jesus knew that the chief competitor for your heavenly father was going to be money. Because money is the chief competitor for your heart. It's not like you're trying to choose between God or Satan or Halloween or Christmas. That's not your struggle. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Jesus said, I want your heart. So I want your treasure. Because if I get your treasure, I know your heart is going to follow. And see, here's the thing. If you're not careful, listen, 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 listen. If you're not careful, your wealth will become your God. If you're not careful, your money Your 401k, your stock portfolio, your property and holdings will become your God. You know, one of the things I remember very vividly was the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. I mean, I can look at it and see it like I was looking at you guys right now. And one of the things that I remember that, uh, about that event so vividly was the day of the funeral where the flag-draped coffin of President John F. Kennedy was brought down Pennsylvania Avenue. And one of the things that I remember so clearly is John F. Kennedy Jr., who was probably about three years old in that long coat standing on the sidewalk saluting the coffin of his dad as it went by. I don't know if infatuation is the word but I've had some kind of weird connection to John F. Kennedy Jr., most of my life because you see he was just a little younger than I was I mean he was a a lawyer educated I mean a good looking guy dressed well started the magazine called George I mean he accomplished a lot of things I've always been intrigued or infatuated with with all of the things that happened to the Kennedy family So needless to say, in in 1999, when the news broke that it was thought that he and his wife, and I think her sister, had perished in a plane crash, it caught me by surprise. Because you see, supposedly, as as the story goes, John F. Kennedy Jr. had been piloting a plane, and the plane disappeared in the ocean off of Martha's Vineyard. Happened in 1999, July of 1999, I think. And what's interesting is this. When when, when experts talk about that crash, they will tell you that there was nothing mechanically wrong with the plane. But they'll tell you that what they believe happened is that John F. Kennedy Jr. was actually piloting that plane and he was impacted by something called spatial, called spatial disorientation. That's the thing that caused the crash. And, and really, when you talk about spatial disorientation, It's actually a confusion of the mind. It's a confusion of the brain. It's where you think you know where you are. You think you know what you're doing. You think you have it all figured out. But in actuality, spatial disorientation confuses you and you really don't have it figured out. So what happens is this. Listen to me this morning. What happens is that a pilot can then take the controls of a plane. And they start and go into a steep climb. And they end up actually flying upside down. And they take the plane straight into the ground. Or in this case, straight into the ocean. Because they were unaware of where they were. They were unaware that they were flying the plane upside down. And see, the Bible gives you and I teaching. But listen. The Bible gives you and I teaching because you and I are going so, we're just, we're just flying fast through this life. You and I are going through this life so fast that we're unaware of when it comes to our stuff, that when it comes to our money, we're actually flying upside down. So my prayer this morning and all this week has been that as we spent this time together talking about these mindsets, that God would actually bring transformation in our minds when it comes to the way that you and I, those watching and listening online, when it comes to the way that we think about money. Because Jesus said, you are more blessed, listen, listen, when you give than when you receive. And sometimes it takes something to recalibrate the way that we think. Sometimes it takes a a global pandemic. Sometimes it takes that, that economic earthquake and the subsequent aftershocks to get our mindset recalibrated. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? God, we're so thankful that we can go to the Word that we can go to Scripture. And first of all, God, see your sacrificial love for us that was expressed in our Son, Jesus Christ. Our sacrifice, who paid the price for us. But not only do we see that, God, your love for us, but we see these principles and these truths that were left for us, are given to us so that we can experience life behind the fence of God's favor. We can be the people who are people of feast, not famine, life, not death, blessing, not cursing. If we will just take the time to implement and allow our minds to be transformed as it relates to a very difficult subject that most people don't want to hear the preacher talk about, And that's money. So my prayer this morning, God, is that in this teaching and in last week's teaching and in next week's teaching, that every truth and every principle that's taught will find its way into fertile soil. And that it will take root. And that every person that has been exposed to it will accept that invitation to live behind the fence of God's favor and to implement the principles and truths that we've looked at. Because we want to be more blessed from God than we've ever been. So God, would you do that in the life of your people? Would you give us baskets that are overflowing? Would you give us barns that are full? And would you allow us to help many just like Joseph did in the Old Testament. God, we love you and we take this time to thank you as we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to get something from you he's trying to give something to you and if we will just take the time and study his word and implement the principles and truths of scripture into our life we will experience the fence of his
1: faith